Welcome to C. diff spores and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and thank you so much for joining us today on C. diff spores and more. At this time, I'd like to introduce our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Please visit the Clorox Healthcare website to learn more about housekeeping and environmental safety with Clorox Clorox Healthcare. At this time, it is nice to introduce our guest, Dr. Ken Blond, PhD, Chief Scientific Officer at Rebiotics Incorporated, a faring company, and Vice President Microbiome Research at Faring Pharmaceuticals. Thank you so much for joining us, Ken, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Nancy. Really happy to be joining you today. Well, we are so happy that you're here today and can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your busy schedule to do so. And at this time, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and sharing your role and responsibilities with the global audience. Sure. So, uh, as you mentioned, I'm the Chief Scientific Officer for Rebiotics, um, which is a fairing company. Uh, I'm also the Vice President of Microbiome Research at Faring Pharmaceuticals, um, and maybe I'll give you a little history on, on the company, too. So, Rebiotics is, uh, is a company that was founded in 2011 uh, by our current CEO, Lee Jones, and her vision was that uh, the microbiome, which we'll talk a lot about today, really has the potential as a novel way to treat serious diseases, including C. diff. Um, but we just needed to figure out how to turn it into an approvable therapeutic. And that was her vision in 2011. Uh, I joined in 2016, and then we were acquired by a global pharmaceutical company, Faring, uh, in 2018. Uh, and all along the way, including up to today, we've been running a lot of the studies that we'll talk about today, really aimed at bringing for, forward a, a novel treatment option for uh, C. diff infections. Thank you so much, Ken, for that wonderful introduction and of you and of Rebiotics Incorporated. And if you wouldn't mind, um, let's start talking about the human microbiome. I know you have a lot to explain and share with our global audience, and we're looking forward to hear more about it. Sure. So the human microbiome, or as the science nerds like to call it, the microbiota, um, is simply a fancy way of saying all the trillions of organisms that live in and on our body. Um, For instance, there's, you know, like I said, a trillion or more bacteria that live in our gut. And those are really important uh, because they help us digest our food. They help us metabolize our food. They regulate our immune system. They're even connected with our uh, neural pathways. And really important to today's conversation, they help protect uh, our gut and other parts of our body against invasion invasion and infection by bad bacteria or other pathogens. So they're really critical. And until recently, maybe in the last 10 or 10 years or, or a little bit more, it wasn't recognized just how much a part of us they are. And now it's really being referred to the microbiota as another organ because it's just so critical to our, our health and wellness. Thank you, Ken. And Ken, what's the connection between the gut microbiome and what does it have to do with human health? Yeah, so like I said, a lot of the bacteria, you know, some of the foods that we eat, um, we, our body doesn't do the whole job of digesting those foods. In fact, the bacteria in our microbiota digest some of our foods. 
and they control our metabolism and regulate it in certain ways that we can't without them. So it's so critical. But they also fill the void um, that otherwise pathogens, like the one we'll talk about today and you talk about on your show a lot, C. diff, um, the microbiota, when it's healthy, actually prevents those from growing in. It's, imagine you, you have a beautiful flower garden at your house. Um, if you keep that flower garden really thick and well-grown with a diversity of, of flowers, then weeds are less prone to move in. And that's kind of the situation we deal with with C. diff. Um, is that we want a healthy garden, a gut garden, uh, as another colleague likes to call it, that prevents C. diff from um, growing in our gut. And maybe I'll Thanks, talk Ken. a little bit more about that C. diff. Um, Absolutely. You know, when, I'm going to keep, I'm going to stick with that gut garden analogy. You know, a lot of the, there are some of the drugs that we have, in particular micro or, or antibiotics, can actually harm the microbiota and disrupt it or kill off some of that diversity in our gut garden. Uh, and when that happens, just sticking with the analogy, imagine that you've taken a weed killer and killed off a lot of your really healthy plants. Well, now it's easier for, for new weeds to grow in because there's nothing growing in the space. That's what happens with C. diff. If a healthy microbiota is disrupted, it leaves a, a fertile soil in which C. diff can grow. And often we're exposed to C. diff in the healthcare system. That's where the exposure would come from in general, sometimes in the community. Um, but if that happens, if you're exposed to C. diff and you also have a disrupted microbiota, then C. diff can move in and it can grow up and take over the garden. And that's a real problem. Um, C. diff produces uh, harmful proteins that we call toxins, um, which have a really negative impact uh, on the inside of our gut. They can cause severe diarrhea, um, a lot of symptoms, severe infection, inflammation, uh, can be even life-threatening. Um, and that's a real challenge, but that's really the, the, the key connection between C. diff and the microbiota. Thank you, Ken. Ken, at this time, can you share with our audience about how the antibiotics disrupt the gut microbiome? Yeah, so the current, the current treatment, when you have a C. diff infection, just like a lot of other infections, the current treatment is, okay, give some antibiotics. And that works. It does kill the C. diff. Um, the problem is those antibiotics will kill a lot of different bacteria, including the good bacteria in your gut. Uh, and so if you have a C. diff infection, some patients, when they have the antibiotic and they get over that um, C. diff infection, then they still have a disrupted gut garden or microbiota. And what can happen is if there's any seeds or what we call spores left of C. diff afterwards and the garden is disrupted, then the C. diff can come raging right back. And that's when we call it recurrent C. diff because it can keep coming back, and then now you can imagine a cycle that goes on and on. Um, there are several therapies currently approved. Um, primarily, they are antibiotics, uh, and that's really where, where we saw that there's a need uh, for some sort of a microbiota-based treatment. Um, but it is a really serious infection. It can be life-threatening. The, the CDC, our Centers for Disease Control, has identified C. diff infections as a, a highly urgent healthcare threat um, with many, many patients suffering, many patients hospitalized. Uh, tens of thousands of patients can actually die each year from C. diff infections. So it is a really serious healthcare challenge, as you well know. 
Yes, absolutely. And Ken, we're five minutes from our commercial break. And at this time, would you mind sharing the current therapies that are available to patients who are battling a C. difficile infection? Yep. Uh, so the current therapies that are approved uh, at this point are almost all antibiotics. So the standard of care, um, if you look at treatment guidelines, the primary standard of care for a first episode of C. diff uh, is an antibiotic called vancomycin. Um, there is an allowance for another uh, older antibiotic called metronidazole uh, or flagyl. Um, that can also be prescribed, but the vast majority of patients will receive this antibiotic vancomycin. Um, there is another newer antibiotic that was approved in 2011 called fidaxomycin. Um, it is an antibiotic that has a slightly narrower spectrum of activity than vancomycin. That just means it doesn't kill as many uh, other bacteria besides what you intended to kill. But that's used in far fewer patients at this time, um, really due to it's just taking time to get it into the market. It costs a little bit more than vancomycin, and it's really a choice um, that's made at the healthcare level. Those are the primary approved therapies at this point. Um, there is also an IV treatment called Zimplava, um, and that's, that's really uh, only for very serious patients who are in the hospital. Um, and what it does is it counteracts the activity of those toxin proteins I mentioned to you earlier, and it would be given at the same time as you give an antibiotic just to prevent those, those toxin effects from getting too out of hand. That's it. Those are the current approved therapies today um, for uh, C. diff. There are a number that are currently being investigated, new antibiotics, uh, as well as the types of investigational therapies that we're talking about today to really restore the microbiota. Thank you so much, Ken. Ken, there's a question just came through. Uh, Are there other types of microbiome uh, and is there microbiome presently in research? Yes, besides the gut. Um, so the, the gut is where we talk about the microbiome the most, um, but there's also a skin microbiome that's related to things like acne. Um, there's a reproductive tract microbiome. In fact, fairing, we're at Faring, we're actually investigating the reproductive microbiome as a way to potentially treat uh, women's health related diseases and potentially enhanced fertility. So it's, you know, we talk an awful lot about the gut microbiome in this context, but it's, it's really throughout the body. Okay, terrific. And, you know, that's really important to know. And at this time, uh, Ken, we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the microbiome in you, the connection of a C. difficile infection in clinical trials with our guest, Ken, Dr. Ken Blonde. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Join us for a special two-hour live online event taking place on Monday, November 1st, starting at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. It's C. diff Survivors Day, dedicated to survivors of C. diff worldwide. Sign up now at cdiffsurvivorsday.com to register for free and join a variety of guest speakers and a chance to network with C. diff survivors from all over. This live online event is sponsored by Series Therapeutics, leading the microbiome revolution. 
Register today at cdivsurvivorsday.com and we'll see you online November 1st. We'd like to thank Ceres Therapeutics for being the diamond sponsor of the 9th Annual C. diff International Conference and Health Expo, taking place 100% live online November 4th and 5th. For more info and to register, visit cdiff2021.com. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Acurex Pharmaceuticals is developing a new class of antibiotics for infections caused by bacteria listed as priority pathogens by the WHO, CDC, and FDA. These include C. diff and a variety of gram-positive infections and their candidates. To view investor information, see case studies, news, and online media, visit acurexpharma.com. Acurex Pharmaceuticals is the audio sponsor of the 9th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo. Visit acurxpharma.com. Acurex Pharmaceuticals. Join us on November 4th and 5th for the 9th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo. This will be a live two-day online event dedicated to healthcare professionals worldwide. For conference details and to register, please visit the conference website at cdiff2021.com or the CDIF Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org and plan ahead for next year when we look forward to meeting you in person on November 3rd and 4th, 2022 at the Boston Logan Hilton Hotel. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and thank you so much for joining us today. At this time, it's our pleasure to reintroduce Dr. Ken Blunt to discuss the microbiome in you, the connection of a C. difficile infection, and clinical trials. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Blunt. Thank you. Happy again to be here and enjoying our time today. Oh, absolutely. We're learning so much. And thank you for all the educational uh, information you're sharing with us. And Dr. Blount, if you wouldn't mind explaining, what exactly is a C. difficile recurrence? Sure. So let's, let's go back to the C. diff pathogen itself. Um, so C. diff is a type of, of bacteria that can live in, in both what we call a spore form and a vegetative form. The spore form is kind of like a hardened seed that can survive harsh conditions, um, and in fact, a lot of cleaners. The vegetative form is when that seed has sprouted and it's growing actively and can produce more of itself. So those are the two forms that we'll talk a lot about today. When I mentioned the toxins earlier, those are only produced by the vegetative or growing form the spores are where we often get the transmission of C. diff because a patient that has a C. diff infection can actually shed spores and they're actually fairly hard to clean up and sterilize. That's one of the concerns that we always have in the healthcare system is did we sterilize the spores? Are we able to prevent transmission? 
So those two life forms are really important parts of C. diff are important um, to the cycle of recurrence. So I mentioned earlier that a patient um, who has a, an active C. diff infection is very often treated with an antibiotic. In that state, um, it's the vegetative or the growing form that the patient has that's growing in their gut. When you treat it with an antibiotic, it kills that vegetative form, but it can often leave behind some of these spores or seeds because they're tougher to treat and they're tougher to eradicate. Um, and then when that happens, you also, with that antibiotic, you may have disrupted that gut garden again, disrupted the microbiota, which allows, even if you have a few spores still hanging around, once the antibiotic is gone, those spores can back into the, the soil of our gut garden and sprout up and form the vegetative. And that's when you really see the cycle where they grow up, they're killed back, they reseed as spores, and they grow back again. And that's very impactful. And that's really the cycle of C. diff resistance um, that we deal with so, so often that you see so often with your, with your, uh, with your patients. Absolutely. And we're just really happy that there are guidelines uh, to follow and for physicians and the healthcare providers to have because years ago there wasn't a guideline. So now we don't let our, allow our patients to go up to 10, 12, 14 recurrences. So we've come a long way in a short amount of time. And as you know, we have a long way to go yet. And with that, if you wouldn't mind explaining to our listeners is what exactly happens to the gut microbiome during a recurrence? Yeah, so during a recurrence, you've killed off some of your good microbiota with the antibiotic. The C. diff spores um, start to grow back and, and grow into the vegetative form. Uh, and they're, they're essentially competing with the, the, the gut microbiota to take over the garden. Um, and that's, that's a race that you, you just can't win um, without bringing in an additional type of treatment. Um, and that's really the idea behind microbiota restoration. Um, it's that, you know, we, we hypothesized in others that if you could treat a patient after an antibiotic course, um, with some sort of a treatment that restored a healthier microbiota, then you would win that race and your healthy microbiota could outcompete the C. diff uh, and prevent that cycle of recurrence from coming back. So it's kind of like if you had that garden, you killed off your C. diff and you brought in really quickly a nice healthy garden to take over, then the weeds or the C. diff in this case really wouldn't be able to take over quite as easily. That's really the concept behind microbiome restoration. It's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And and uh, Dr. Blunt, we understand that Faring focuses on revolutionizing the treatment of debilitating diseases like C. difficile by harnessing the power of the human microbiome. How does the company go about testing this idea? Well, that's a great question. So when when we originally started, there was data on something called a fecal transplant. Um, that, suggest, that suggested if you could take healthy microbiota from a healthy donor uh, and somehow administer it back to a patient, then that would actually um, provide the microbiome restoration. But that, that was just a, an experimental treatment. Um, it wasn't anything that had been proven. It wasn't anything that had been manufactured carefully. So when Lee Jones, again, our CEO, had the vision back in 2011, it was that if you found a way 
to manufacture this in a very reproducible way with quality controls, then you would have potentially an approvable therapeutic. And that was really approach was to do just that. So the way you do that is you start to, to develop um, manufacturing practices, quality controls, and you start to talk to the U.S. Uh, FDA about how this could be regulated, what would be the controls that they would want to see, what would be the manufacturing processes that um, would convince them that you have a reliable process. And that's really what it comes down to, is standardized, reliable processes with quality control metrics. And thank you so much for that. And we applaud uh, Lee Jones for her vision and for carrying this forward uh, to uh, definitely for cure and for resolving this horrible infection. And would you mind explaining how the microbiota-based therapy impacts a patient with recurrent CDI? Sure. So, um, you know, the, the real challenge that the patients are facing is that even though they may get over that infection by having the antibiotic treatment, um, they have a recurrence, and that leads to a really stressful pattern, um, not just medically, but psychologically and emotionally stressful for the patient. And so the way that we've treated our patients, specifically in a clinical setting, um, and these are clinical trials, it is an investigational therapy at this point, uh, is that when a patient completes their antibiotic course, then we allow one to two days uh, after completion of antibiotic with the resolution of their symptoms. And after that, those uh, two to three days, then they would receive the investigational treatment, um, after which you basically wait and see um, whether or not their recurrence comes back and whether the infection recurs. Thank you so much for sharing that. And Dr. Blunt, we are so excited to learn more about the kind of investigational microbiome-based therapeutics that Faring is developing. Can you share that with us? Sure. So the, the current investigational treatment that we've put the most work into is called RBX2660. Um, and it's comprised of a full, what we again call a full consortium mix of bacteria. And that simply means we make every effort in those standardized processes to capture as much of a healthy microbiota as possible. It is biologically sourced from humans. We make every effort to capture the entirety of the microbiome, and that includes what we call Bacteroidetes and Firmicutes. Um, those are two um, bacterial classifications um, that are the most prevalent in healthy individuals. And that's what we intend to put in our product. And our, we have specific uh, what we call release criteria, which are the quality control metrics that show that, indeed, we do have a minimum amount of, ba of bacteria in each dose and that we do have a minimum amount of those bacteroidetes that we feel are such an important part of a healthy microbiome. So okay. maybe I'll also add, in addition to that, um, it is rectally administered, um, and we have a second formulation um, that's not quite as far along in development, um, but it's uh, an oral capsule. Um, we're aiming to continue the clinical development path for that. But the first formulation, that RBX2660, uh, I think we'll get into some of this, has been now tested uh, in five clinical trials uh, in the United States for uh, reducing uh, C. diff recurrence. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing all that information. And Dr. Blount, we understand uh, being, you know, 
the CEDA Foundation and all of our members, um, we do understand the impact of a C. difficile infection, but can you elaborate on how recurrences have an impact on patients' lives? Yep, and I'm going to speak to this as a scientist, and uh, I probably won't do as good a job as you because you're really close to the patients and and you've experienced this yourself. Um, But but imagine uh, you, you just got over an infection and suddenly your infection is right back. That's traumatizing. Um, Some of the symptoms are severe diarrhea, abdominal pain, inflammation, can be life-threatening. It can be something called a toxic megacolon, which is about as scary as it sounds. (laughs) Um, And the the fear uh, of those recurrences coming back time after time after time, even though you've had the antibiotic treatment that the clinicians are giving you is is a, is a real challenge. Um, and, you know, as scientists, we love quantitative data. Um, and there are metrics called quality of life measures that put a number to this. Um, and it's well known in the, in the field, in the industry, as well as in medical practice, that the quality of life measures for patients suffering from the cycle of recurrence are, are rather low. It's, it's quite a traumatizing experience. And so this yeah, this not beyond um, being able to, to take this this investigational approach into an approved therapeutic. There's really a patient opportunity here that drives us day to day to find solutions that could really help these patients in, in such need. Absolutely, and thank you so much. And we are so grateful for Faring Pharmaceuticals and Rebiotics, a Faring company, for the v- development research of all these fantastic products that can resolve the infection and stop the pain and suffering. And at this time, um, we are going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the microbiome and you, the connection of a C. difficile infection and clinical trials with our guest, Dr. Ken Blunt. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products, EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes, trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. We thank Faring Pharmaceuticals for being the sponsor of the January 28, 2022 C. diff Patient, Family, and Caregiver Live Online Symposium. To learn more about Faring Pharmaceuticals, please visit faringusa.com. We'd like to thank Series Therapeutics for being the diamond sponsor of the 9th Annual C. diff International Conference and Health Expo, taking place 100% live online, November 4th and 5th. For more info and to register, visit cdiff2021.com. If you missed the live broadcast of C. diff spores and more, we invite you to listen at your leisure. In addition to the on-demand show on Voice America Health and Wellness, find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Take us with you worldwide. Join us on November 4th and 5th for the 9th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo. 
This will be a live two-day online event dedicated to healthcare professionals worldwide. For conference details and to register, please visit the conference website at cdiff2021.com or the CDIF Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org and plan ahead for next year when we look forward to meeting you in person on November 3rd and 4th, 2022 at the Boston Logan Hilton Hotel. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and thank you so much for joining us today on C. diff spores and more with our special guest, Dr. Ken Blount, here discussing the microbiome in you, the connection of a C. difficile infection, and clinical trials. At this time, I'd like to welcome back Dr. Blount. Welcome back to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. You're welcome, and we are so glad you're here and learning so much from you about the microbiome and and C. difficile and how they correlate with clinical trials. And by the way, congratulations on successfully completing your Phase 3 clinical trial. Can you take this moment and discuss how clinical trials work and why companies do them? Yes. Uh, Well, thank you for the congratulations. We are very excited about it. Um, And great idea to start with why do companies do clinical trials? Um, So it turns out you can't just have a drug idea, start making it uh, and selling it to patients. That doesn't go over well. Um, The U.S. uh, Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, has a process by which they regulate how new drugs are developed, investigated, and approved, and that's what we call clinical trials. Um, usually you start with clinical, a clinical trial that is often called a phase one, uh, and those are aimed at demonstrating that a new uh, potential drug, which is formerly called an investigational drug, is safe. So usually the first trials are first simply about is it safe for a patient because that's the first and most important thing is safety to a patient. Um, the next question is does it work? Um, those are the two key questions the FDA asks. You usually tr- test whether it works in a phase two clinical trial, and those are aimed at often comparing what your invest- how well does your investigational drug work in the population you're testing compared to how did a placebo work. Some clinical trials use a different way to compare, but very often they use a placebo, which is what it sounds like. It's basically a fake. Um, you give the patient something that looks, tastes, if it's oral, seems in every way just like the investigational drug, but it's not, and it shouldn't have any impact on the disease. And if you've succeeded at that point, you've demonstrated some safety, you've demonstrated that it could work, then you move to a large trial, often called the phase three, which is really about confirming all of what you just learned, that it's safe and that it works for a patient. Those are phase three trials. They also very frequently have a placebo control that you compare your investigational drug to, and they have often many hundreds of patients. Um, If and only if you've made it through all of those stages in a way that the FDA is satisfied with, then you can start to have a discussion with the, the FDA about could this be an approvable product. The whole way along there, you've been negotiating with them about what are their expectations, what do they want to see, how many patients should you test, how 
how uh, clearly do you need to demonstrate that it works compared to a placebo? All of this work goes on in collaboration and via a back-and-forth discussion with the FDA. So you mentioned congratulations on our Phase three clinical trial, and that's really exciting to us because now that you know how clinical trials work, that's the culmination of an awful lot of work. We started our first clinical trials back in uh, 2012 and 2013, so we've been doing this for a long time. We've tested well over 600 patients um, with C. diff infections with the investigational treatment uh, RBX2660 to now in five clinical trials programs. So the phase three that we had just released data for this year was the culmination of all of that. And they're really aimed at demonstrating that RBX2660 could be safe and could be effective for patients suffering from C- recurrent C. diff infections. Extravagant. I mean, we just are so excited over this, and we we really can applaud all of you more than we do, and thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, I know you can discuss this about how important it is that safety has played out through your clinical trials. Can you discuss that with us? Yep. So, again, the first clinical trials we run were aimed at safety, um, and the second clinical trial we ran also assess safety along with did it work, and so on and so forth. Every single clinical trial we run has an element of monitoring safety of, of the, tr- the investigational treatment in a patient. And the way you do that is that any, anything negative that happens, any symptom that a patient experiences after receiving the investigational treatment is recorded and becomes part of your permanent record, and they get they are classified according to how serious they are. The more serious they are, the more attention they get because the whole point is to really probe that question, did this investigational therapy cause any side effects that we really need to be aware of that would tell us this is not a good, uh, not a a safe treatment? Um, Throughout our entire safety program, um, I mentioned we've had over 600 patients treated with RBX 2660. Um, and we, we have not seen any significant major side effects of concern. In fact, our safety profile has generally been what's classified as mild to moderate. Um, and in general, I mentioned we had some placebo controls to compare to our adverse event or our safety profile and the symptoms the patient experienced is very similar between the investigational treatment and the placebo throughout. So to answer your question, safety has been at the forefront of our minds from the very beginning, uh, as well as through all of our clinical trials program. That's good because that's at the forefront of the FDA's mind. Those are the first questions that they ask. And so they have a requirement for, again, how many patients do you need to have treated with the investigational treatment to be certain that you're not seeing any major side effects of concern. So we've been lockstep with the FDA. Lee Lee Jones started this interaction, again, back in 2011, 2012, really to talk to the FDA about what will it take to demonstrate that. And we've carried that forward the entire time. Faring, Faring acquired us in 2018. They're part of that safety monitoring program now. Just another word about safety. Even once you get of uh, an investigational therapy approved, if you start to market, then you have what's called pharmacovigilance, which means you keep watching it to see if there's any safety issues. 
So hopefully you're, you're getting the impression that safety is a really high importance um, for any investigational treatments. And it's wonderful to learn. Thank you so much, Dr. Blunt. And can you also share with us uh, about the efficacy and how it's tracked throughout your clinical trial program? Yep. So efficacy is simply how well did the drug work to treat the disease? So in the case of C. diff, we've talked a lot about recurrence and that we're treating recurrent C. diff. So the way we've measured efficacy in our clinical trials has been within eight weeks after the last investigational treatment that a patient received, did they have a C. diff recurrence or did they not? That's what we call the primary endpoint. And when you see primary endpoint in clinical trials or a report of a clinical trial, that's where the rubber hits the road where you determine, did the product work? Um, do you have efficacy or not? Our efficacy measure is a success if the patient is free of C. diff recurrence at eight weeks after the investigational treatment. Now, that's been a key endpoint in the majority of the trials programs I've mentioned. And so that's why it was so exciting when we had the phase three result uh, earlier this year that said our primary efficacy endpoint or success was met, meaning there was a significant benefit of the investigational treatment in that clinical trial compared to the placebo control. That's exciting stuff. Whenever you see phase three trials meeting their primary efficacy endpoint, that's big news, and we couldn't be more excited about this. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that information with everyone. And Dr. Blunt, what is the um, standardization, the importance of it in microbiota-based therapy and in any investigational drug? Yeah, so that's a really important topic. I talked earlier about getting established and standardized procedures. Um, imagine you went to the doctor and you got a prescription for a drug. Um, you expect that drug to be the same whenever you get it, whatever pharmacy you buy it at, whatever state you buy it in, whatever dose you take. You expect it to be the same, and that's what standardization is, and that's what we set out to do from the very beginning. Was when we manufactured this, remember, our investigational product is live bacteria or live microbiota that are formulated into a dose to administer to the patients. So how do you do that? That's, a, that's the important standardization piece is knowing how to do that in a way where you can demonstrate that every single dose you give a patient is going to be the same with respect to the important activity that it could bring to the patient. So with a live biotherapeutic, which is what we're making, um, that goes to things like how many bacteria did you have in, in each dose? You have to have a minimum amount of bacteria in every single dose. And you actually test every single dose to say, if it doesn't meet this minimum criteria of bacteria present, then it doesn't pass and you don't get to set, you don't get to release it um, for a clinical trial or as a potentially approved product. There's also other measures. We talked about bacteroidetes being an important part of the microbiota of healthy. Well, we actually have measures to say there's got to be a minimum amount of bacteroidetes in every single dose. So these repetitive every single dose, that's really the concept of standardization. And that's what's so important for any drug, but especially this type of drug, because it's a new type that's never been approved before. 
Okay. And thank you so much for that and for sharing all the information. And we're two minutes from our next commercial break. And, you know, you've been talking so much about the microbiome. And, and if you can share what really impacts have you seen throughout your clinical trials? Yeah, so pretty much, uh, you know, all, most of our, our clinical trials, as I mentioned, have been aimed at safety um, or they've been aimed at efficacy or both. Um, some of the other things that we do are we look at the patient's microbiota from before to after treatment. So, for instance, we set out, you know, I've, I've set up this, this uh, gut garden analogy. Um, we set out to restore that microbiota or gut garden, but it's also important to go back and do some science that says it did. It did what we set out to do. So our, our clinical trials have allowed uh, have invited patients to submit stool samples before treatment and at several time points after treatment. Those are then sent to our laboratories where we test to see the microbiota. And what we've consistently seen is that before treatment, which is right after an antibiotic, before treatment, the microbiota is often disrupted and not much like a healthy microbiota. So those important bugs I told you about, the firmicutes, the bacteroidetes, um, those are depleted. Uh, before you have the investigational treatment. And then within a few days after the investigational treatment, they begin to restore back towards a healthier balance. And that stays. And that stays what we call durable. It means the changes persist out to six, in some cases, 24 months after treatment, where you have the higher bacteroidetes, you have the higher firmicutes. And that's really been an important component just to really show that we we're in, in addition to the clinical benefits, we're actually seeing the science bear out what we set out to do. And thank you so much for doing that and for all that you've accomplished, Dr. Blunt. And at this time, we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the microbiome in you, the connection of a C. difficile infection and clinical trials with our guest, Dr. Kim Blunt. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. <music> Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Acurex Pharmaceuticals is developing a new class of antibiotics for infections caused by bacteria listed as priority pathogens by the WHO, CDC, and FDA. These include C. diff and a variety of gram-positive infections and their candidates. To view investor information, see case studies, news, and online media, visit acurexpharma.com. Acurex Pharmaceuticals is the audio sponsor of the 9th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo. Visit acurxpharma.com. Acurex Pharmaceuticals. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. We thank Faring Pharmaceuticals for being the sponsor of the January 28, 2022 C. diff Patient, Family, and Caregiver Live Online Symposium. To learn more about Faring Pharmaceuticals, please visit faringusa.com. 
Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. We'd like to thank Faring Pharmaceuticals for being the global sponsor of the 5th Annual Global C. diff Awareness Walks. To register and for more information, visit cdiffwalks.com. We look forward to raising C. diff awareness with you on September 25th. The walks are available on demand, live streamed, and in person in Teaneck, New Jersey, Spring City, Pennsylvania, and Newport Ritchie, Florida. You can walk with us no matter where you are. Again, visit cdiffwalks.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. And welcome back to the program, everyone. And thank you so much for joining us on C. diff spores and more. We're here today with our special guest, Dr. Ken Blond, who's here discussing the microbiome in you, the connection of a C. difficile infection and clinical trials Welcome back to the program, Dr. Blonde. Good. Back. Glad to be back. Thank you, Nancy. You are so welcome. Thanks for spending all of this time and educating the global listeners today. And, you know, before break, you were discussing the microbiome and clinical trials and what you've seen throughout the time. And would you mind explaining to our, our global listeners what exactly is a Firmicute and Bacteroidetes? Sure. Yeah. So this is um, this is a scientific classification system um, of basically talking about bacteria. So you know, I could. What I'm trying to do is describe the different types of bacteria that grow up in a healthy microbiome. And so the classification is like saying my highest level classification is using an analogy as people. Okay. And then I could also narrow that down to saying um, different genders or sexes of people. And then I could narrow that down to saying people that live in, in the North and people that live in the South. And then I could narrow it down to say people that live in this state versus that state. And those people that live in that state also live in the South and their people and their certain gender or sex. It's just a classification system. So when I use the terms firmicutes and bacteroidetes, those are two major classifications of bacteria that have a whole lot of other subtypes of bacteria within them. But what they are is the key players in a healthy microbiome. So if we were to, to sample your microbiome, my microbiome, the majority of microbiomes uh, in the Western world and basically around the, the, the world would have really a, a whole bunch of firmicutes and a whole bunch of bacteroidetes in them. 
Um, now, within those classifications are some really important classes. One of them is called Clostridia, and one of them is called Bacteroidea. And those are the two that are the most prominent in a healthy microbiome. So now I'm going to go back to when we talked about looking at the microbiome in the patients before and after treatment. We go in specifically wondering, do those patients have the normal balance of bacteria? Do they have the normal levels of bacteroidea, clostridia, bacteroidetes, spermicutes? And in many cases, because they just had an antibiotic and because they're a recurrent C. diff patient, they don't have a normal level of those. And so we really seek to say, did our investigational treatment increase those back to the level where they should be in a healthy person? Um, and by and large, we've seen that in the clinical trials that we've run to date and we do the science. You might also ask, well, what happens when those are removed? Um, is it just a vacuum? No. You actually see things grow in there that wouldn't normally be in there. Um, many times pathogens um, that, that shouldn't be there will fill in the gaps because they can grow really fast and fill in a gap. And we actually see that in a lot of patients after they've had an antibiotic C. diff. Um, they'll have an overgrowth um, or overabundance of some of the, the bacterial classes that we don't want to see. Um, and then that reverses after treatment. So after our investigational treatment and the clinical trials we've looked at, you usually see a restoration towards more healthy balance of those bacterial classes we talked about. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Blunt. And, you know, right now, if if a listener wants to learn more about how clinical trials are conducted or where would you where would you advise them to look? And, and also, if they want to learn more about fairing clinical trials, uh, where can they get in contact with your team? Yep. So for just overviews of clinical trials, um, there's obviously some good TED Talks out there. You can go to the U.S. FDA's website. For our trials in particular, all of our trials programs have been posted at www.rebiotics.com with further information at fairing, F-E-R-R-I-N-G.com. We are a fairing company. Rebiotics is a fairing company. We're very proud of that. Fairing has a long history in the microbiome commitment even before they acquired rebiotics. So they're really through and through believers in the microbiome. So we're happy to be paired with them. And those are some good resources where you can find more information about these clinical trials. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Blunt. And also, what do you hope to see microbiome research evolve into? Yeah, that's a good question. So we talked Today, this is C. diff spores and more. We talked about one indication, C. diff infections and recurrent C. diff infections. That's the tip of the iceberg. Um, the microbiota, microbiota, as we talked about at the very beginning, is so central to so many processes in our body that we believe that you know, a microbiome imbalance could be a root cause for many different disease states. So we view this as the proof that this can be an approach that could revolutionize human health. So think about other gastrointestinal disorders like inflammatory bowel disease, irritable bowel syndrome, um, you name it. There's a lot of different diseases that are so intricately linked with imbalances in the microbiota that we believe that C. diff is just the beginning. And that's really our vision at Faring is to, to take this type of novel 
investigational microbiota treatment and see what we can do with it and how many different uh, human health conditions we can impact. We touched very early on about even outside the gut, reproductive tract is a great example. We also have the vision that the microbiota could revolutionize reproductive health medicine as well. Um, and that's a very specific program that we're working on now within fairing. So it's the, the sky is the limit in short. Exactly. And thank you for that. And um, exa- right before we close the show, which is in one minute, um, would you mind sharing some uh, closing messages for the listeners about the microbiome and C. difficile and uh, contact information? Yep. Uh, I can be reached at Ken, K-E-N, dot Blount, B-L-O-U-N-T, at fairing.com. Just want to reiterate how much I appreciate being here today and sharing with your listeners the exciting work we're doing. Stay tuned. Keep your eyes on the news um, as this RBX 2660 proceeds towards a hopeful approval process. And thank you so much, Dr. Blunt, for sharing your time with us today. And, you know, we can't thank you enough for your dedication in the research development and we just want to say thank you to you, to Rebiotics Incorporated, a fairing company, and to Fairing Pharmaceuticals for making so much happen so quickly and for their continued dedication. Uh, to learn more about clinical trials, uh, as Dr. Blunt said, you can go to www.clinicaltrials.gov. You can also visit the CDF Foundation's website, cdifoundation.org. And also at this time, We send out our get well wishes to all the patients being treated for and recovering from a C. diff infection and the many wellness draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your co-host, Nancy Corrala, with our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, that's 1 p.m. Eastern Time, for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together.